What is the Xbox expansion pass? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, hello. Greetings. I am 343 Guilty Spark, monitor of Installation 04. Greetings to all of you reclaimers here on Xbox Expansion Pass. <laughs> Xbox Expansion. Welcome one, welcome all to episode 108 of the Xbox Expansion Pass, recorded on Saturday, November 13th, 2021. I am your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost. In this episode, I'm joined by author and Forbes senior contributor Paul Tassi on to discuss his work in video game coverage. We'll debate the ethics of reporting, how to handle leaks and rumors, and balancing article quotas with personal content. The Xbox 20th anniversary is upon us, and there's plenty more to look forward to in the upcoming days. Enjoy. Yet another week of gaming is upon us and behind us. Welcome to XEP, discussing all things in the Gamerverse as they pertain to the Xbox ecosystem. And as I want to do each and every week, I like to start the show by offering words of kindness to those who have made my gaming week better. And this week, the words of kindness go to my guest, Forbes senior contributor and author, Mr. Paul Tassi. How are you, sir? Good. Uh, thanks for having me. Good to be here. I am ecstatic to have you to pick your brain, as I told you pre, pre-recording, pre to put you on the hot seat, as it were. But uh, it, it, there's a, it's a pleasure here to, to go through and kind of tackle some of your career, as it were. Can you tell me a bit about your role at Forbes? Yeah, I uh, mainly cover gaming for them. I'd say it's about 80% gaming and then maybe 20% TV at this point uh, with some mm-hmm. various tech stuff thrown in there. But uh, I'm a senior contributor there, which a lot of people kind of work as contributors part-time, but that is my full-time gig. And I have been doing it for almost 11 years now, I think. It's about to be 11 years. And uh, I've kind of written more and more as time has gone on. And now I've reached the point where I'm writing five articles a day, every day, including weekends. So you may have seen some of them floating around because there are a lot of them. Talk to me about that process then, because I I do want to tackle the author side of your career also. But five articles a day has to get tough for a lot of different reasons, finding content, the right kind of content, content that you want to, to write about. Tell me about your process as a writer and contributor journalist? Yeah, um, it kind of splits between what is going on actively in the news and then maybe something I just kind of want to write for myself, all the while balancing uh, what people are actually going to be searching for and what will actually get read. So it's kind of a difficult balancing act. And like sometimes you write something just because you know it's going to get a lot of views, like a Fortnite guide to whatever you know thing is going to get a couple hundred thousand views back in the day, but um, general news items and stuff, I spend a lot of time just glued to the internet to figure out what's going on in a um, given topic or industry. And I I have my own games that I focus on. People mostly know me as like the loot shooter person. So um, if there's news for Avengers or Outriders or Destiny or, you know, anything in that kind of category, I will probably be um, on top of it. Uh, But I also cover kind of larger larger picture issues like the whole you know xbox and ps5 and and everything regarding um larger things like that and also a lot of the biggest releases that might not be in my genre but like i'm gonna play you know a horizon forbidden west or a halo infinite or whatever it happens to be even if it's not a looter like i (laughs) i have to cover uh, some big games because they're just so big everyone wants to talk about them and i want to play those games anyway um so that's that's nice and then sometimes i just have opinions on things Uh, i have more or less a daily uh, Destiny column where I have some sort of opinion about something happening in Destiny. Uh, sometimes that's news, but I can do just a lot of opinion stuff too. Um, that can branch out to like, you know, Sony's doing this thing wrong. Xbox is doing this thing right, like vice versa. And that gets me in trouble, of course, with the other other camps around the internet. But um, yeah, it's, it's, I never run out of stuff to talk about. Like it seems like a lot, five articles a day, every day. And yet the industry is so big. And there's so much stuff happening. I I never feel like there's a shortage of topics. 
Interesting. Interesting. Does that ever get monotonous or frustrating to think that you have to fill a quota uh, at any given point? Because there are a lot of things to cover based on interest and what's going on. But are there days where it drags and you're not sure what to do? It, it happens sometimes. Um, I would say not super often. But yeah, I can I can stare at a screen for 50 minutes before I can even like formulate uh, my first article in a day. And like, in my, like myself, my quota is self-imposed. Like I write this much because I want to write this much and I have a, a better chance of performing well under the, the contract I'm in if I'm kind of giving it my all. So like I could scale back if I wanted to. So a lot of this is like self-directed. Like I want to be, you know, author- an authority in this category. Like I want to, you know, have a lot of articles that have a lot of reach. So it's, it's a lot of it is on me and that can be a problem is like, you know, t- turning off the switch to go on like vacation is something I have uh, difficulty doing. It's just because I've been doing this for so long. But um, there are, yeah, there are days where it lags, but I've never once hit a day where I'm like, all right, no news, nothing to do. I'm done. Like maybe I'll, I'll cut an article t- or two off the top if nothing's happening, but I never just kind of throw in the towel. <laughs> gotcha. Man, there's so many ways that I want to tackle that and so many questions I have. Uh, sometimes I'll see articles on Kotaku, Polygon, IGN, Forbes uh, that are just just appear to be uh, the author quoting something that someone said on Reddit. Whereas other times it's you know high intensity investigative journalism that had to have taken a lot of time to put together a piece. That's what I see from the outside looking in. What's your take on that, uh, and on the difference between those two from someone who's on the other side? Uh, it's hard because obviously, you know, you want every story you write to be some, you know, brilliant, impactful piece of work. But a lot of the times you are just informing people of something, a news item, mm-hmm. uh, a guide to do something. And then, you know, uh, a Reddit post can turn into an article if it's news and if mm-hmm. you properly cite Reddit, because Reddit is the largest uh, community hub for almost every game. <laughs> so like mm-hmm. news stories do come from there uh, specifically. The problem with kind of longer form investigative pieces is they need to be subsidized with more of the stuff that I write. So like for, for everything, you know, I could do a longer investigative piece, but if you do more than one of those, you know, once a month or every few weeks, like you need to be doing something in the interim because what always is going to happen is you're going to publish that and it might be very good. And like, a you know, a, an article you could point to and be like, this is a brilliant work I did. And it's probably going to get a quarter of the views that your Fortnite guy did. So it's, it's a balance between writing things like, you know, people are going to want to read and click on uh, that take, you know, a fraction of the time of a longer investigative piece while also kind of balancing yourself out where you do still want to do some kind of those pieces sometimes. And some people only do one category. Some people only do the other category. Uh, some people do both. I, I lean more towards, you know, just frequent news post guides, hits, opinions, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, cause that works for me in my model, but obviously some of the most respected people in the industry are doing really, really long form stuff like Jason Schreier's the obvious example with his giant exposés. Mm-hmm. Um, but not, it, it, that is hard to do. Like if that was easy to do, everyone would be doing it. And he has like great sourcing. He's a great writer. Like a lot of stars kind of have to align, but I, I think there's room in the industry for, for all types of things. Um, I think it, you can get into the territory where we can debate what's, what's clickbaity and what's, you know, just you only wrote this to make people mad and things like that. And that is stuff I definitely try to avoid, but in the industry, it is almost impossible to fully avoid it. So mm-hmm. it's, it's an ongoing struggle, shall we say? <laughs> well, so that actually leads to my next question is kind of, you talked about news items. What makes a news item versus something that I, I suppose others might look at as clickbaity or I don't know if rumor mongering is the right word, but we see some journalists just, latch on to the smallest thing i don't i shouldn't i'll, I'll say uh enthusiast journalism uh if that makes sense that's 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 what it is to say but really what makes the difference between a rumor or a clickbaity title and a true news item the the definition i have of clickbait is if a title says something that is like the opposite of what the piece says so like mm-hmm. i think you're allowed to hide certain information be like you know uh surprising game tops ps5's most played charts or something like that and like you could say that's clickbait because i am telling you to click on it so you can understand what the game is but like you click on the article i tell you what the game is i'm not like misleading you in in some way um you write an article that you know is purposefully misleading uh and kind of making assumptions about like oh you know this thing is gonna like shock you like that 
that to me is kind of a bridge too far. Um, and but I, I think there needs to be a blend, and I think I have found success by kind of blending news and opinion, where I I will I might have a spin on whatever the news story is that is my own opinion on that story. Sometimes that'll make its way all the way to, into a headline. Sometimes it won't. Uh, mm-hmm. But when it does, I I am perfectly willing to say I have a perspective on certain issues, and I will say that up front. What I try to avoid and try to avoid in terms of being clickbaity is saying something that is either not true flat out or is, is misleading enough to like make people upset. But if I say like Xbox is doing this thing better than PS5, people will call that clickbaity and console war baiting. But like this is just my literal opinion. Like I know people will get mad about it, but like that is not why I wrote it. Like I didn't invent this specific opinion I have to make people mad. Like I think this whatever it is, a quick resume or something. I think that is Mm -hmm. something that Sony really needs. And I can write a whole article about that. But to me, that does not fall under the definition of clickbait. And I I think that term gets used uh, way too often for my taste. Um, It's, it's gotten a little better recently, but uh, you know, sometimes it's deserved, but I feel like a lot of the times when I see it, it's not. And it's a lot of people who didn't maybe even read the article in the first place to know what it was Mm -hmm. talking about. So that's, that's something I, I run into a decent amount. Sure. And I would think uh, many times in the course of writing a lot of those articles, uh, certain communities will take you to or see you as the villain or the hero. And I've seen similar things happen with other journalists like Schreier, Klepik, McCaffrey. Um, what's your take on those different communities kind of either vilifying you or championing you as, you know, X person for this game? It can be a little frustrating because people will only look at kind of that immediate article, but more or less, and they won't look at your kind of body of work. So like I am lately, I am accused of being an Xbox shell because I have written a good amount of positive things about Xbox of this generation. I spent the last six years before this kind of bashing the hell out of Xbox because the Xbox one generation was very bad. And I was, Mm -hmm. I was all in favor of Sony. I God of war was my game of the year. I loved all their exclusives. And like, I was very pro Sony for all those years. So it's, I think people want to group people into very specific camps of like, you think this console or this game could do no wrong or do no right. And the reality is I almost never see people with just kind of a blanket uniform opinion where like, obviously destiny is my favorite game and I play it all the time. And like probably 70% of the articles I've written about it are criticizing some aspect of the game I want to improve or something. So I am either a destiny shill for writing all those articles or I'm a destiny hater because I'm critical a lot. So it, I think it is is more dimensional than people give it credit for because unless people know you and like, I guess I've been around long enough where some people do know me. So I'm maybe getting this less now, but um, they, they will just kind of look at the exact article or even just the headline. I, I people just screenshot headlines and just post that and be like, this guy's an idiot. And you, you, without even giving people a chance to click on the article. So uh, that's, I, I don't think you can really judge people just based on, on something like that or a single headline or article. Well, certainly some people are finding you to be, you know, a positive. I mean, you have 60, almost 63,000 on your personal channel for YouTube and you are writing for Forbes. Does that feel good? I mean, like, are you able to find success and, and peace kind of within that type of stuff? Yeah, I, I do. I, I really have enjoyed building an audience o- over the years and it's hard. I mean, it's, it's, it's a tough journey that takes a lot of work and I probably put too much of my self-worth into my, uh, you know, social media scores and follower counts and things, which is like not the healthiest thing, but it does feel rewarding that like people want to kind of hear what you have to say and that you have a, a large platform. But when you do kind of get a larger platform, you have to always keep in mind, you know, that you're using that responsibly and it can be, I mean, you, you can't let it like go to your head, like I'm going to decree this thing about this game. And then this is what everyone should think, like, because I'm, you know, Mr. Big Shot now, like it doesn't work like that. And if you just, you, you have to con- consistently kind of produce quality and uh, you don't have to like please your readers, but you have to kind of continually engage with them, uh, which is why, you know, you've gotten the support in the first place. So that's something I've kind of learned as I've gone. And YouTube has been interesting because I've only been into that for about a year or so, but it's like a whole other type of community uh, cultivation where it's like everything I, I post on YouTube is like 300, 400, 500 comments. And like, it's a whole different community that you have to kind of learn how you engage with that community as opposed to Twitter. And 
Um, it's it's been an interesting journey, but I might be kind of maxed out on the the amount of places I can post without um, burning all my hours in the day here. <laughs> I was going to say, how do you balance the personal channel where you're you're averaging? I mean, at least ten thousand views per video. It looks like, if not far more, uh, on the low end, it looked like ten k. How do you balance that with your role at Forbes, being you know as a journalist, and then knowing that one might feed the other in, in some ways. You, you talked about Destiny, right? And you wrote a lot about Destiny. Ty Guy Travis always says that nobody should be getting into Destiny right now because it's just a mess <laughs> uh, of so many things. But certainly one has to feed the other. How do you balance the two and know where to put certain content? So, I mean, being, being at Forbes for 10, 11 years now, that is what is the main platform that has allowed me to grow, I would say, my Twitter following. So I have 100,000 Twitter followers. And then when I started a YouTube channel... I'm like, hey, I started a YouTube channel. So like instantly that allowed me to get 20K, like 20K subscri- like subscribers on YouTube, mm-hmm. which is a huge blessing because I know how hard people work to get to that metric. And it's, you know, slower growth from there. But so that is something where my writing gave me a platform and then the platform fed YouTube. Uh, sometimes you can do crossover stuff. Like I might, you know, there might be one of my videos I embed in an article or I might link to an article I wrote in the text of uh, my description for a video. Um, some, some, some days I have to decide if I have the ability to do a destiny post and a destiny video, or if I have to like pick, pick one (laughs) and which would be better for YouTube or vice versa. A lot of the times they complement each other. Like I just did a big roundup, um, this morning about halo infinite multiplayer launch rumors. Um, Mm -hmm. that was an article, but then I also did a video because videos allow you to kind of explain, you know, your, your thoughts, um, in a more detailed way than you would otherwise. And Forbes, like I'm a freelancer and like they have no problem with me doing a personal video page and something. I do some videos for them. I, they're starting up some, some video stuff. So I occasionally do uh, videos like just sitting here, like I am now uh, about industry topics for them that they post on their channel. So it's, it's been kind of synergistic and they, they saw that I had success on YouTube. So they're like, Hey, you should, you know, do a couple videos for us if, if you want to. So it all kind of goes together, but I did also build YouTube to have something that is just mine, I guess, where it's it's not tied to anyone except, I guess, Google. But uh, and that's that's been really great to have, and I've I've really enjoyed it. Is there ever a fear that one would, I guess, control the other, or vice versa, or you do you ever feel motivated to only put it in one place and then think, oh, maybe I should have done it in another? Sometimes, but. Like YouTube still remains enough of a side project for me. Like it's not it's not like a 50-50 split. Like, okay, half my money comes from YouTube now, half is from Forbes. Like you it's only been a year, so YouTube is is a lower percentage than that. So Forbes is usually gonna take priority. Um, and then if it, if it's not and it's like, okay, I really want to do a video on this, like I will do both. Like like I just said, like I can do, mm-hmm. you know, I can take something and split it and have it benefit both things, essentially. Cause me making a video isn't interfering with my Google search results for Forbes and vice versa. So uh, there, I think there is a lot of room to do both and they can kind of supplement the other. Do you think that's the position that a lot of like editor and chiefs would take? Or is it that your extended relationship with Forbes that gives you that freedom to do so? Um, what In terms of like, what, what do you think the editor and chiefs would say about it? Well, I, so I suppose this is coming from a place of ignorance. So forgive me, but no, I'm curious if... You know, certain writing outlets, Forbes or, or IGN, whatever it might be, uh, are okay with their their creators having a personal channel that kind of feeds their base and, and is you know sim- symbiotic to one another. Or if they would say, "No, put all of your content where we are." Does that make uh, sense? As far as I know, I think uh, you know I, I know off offhand a couple of specific examples of like people who write for you know IGN or something, for instance, that also have their own personal YouTube channels. Um, mm-hmm. If they are like, okay, you are contracted to do the Halo review specifically for us, they may not watching you. They, they may not want you using your IGN acquired review code to make a video for your own personal channel. So, like, sure. there are probably specific instances where that happens, but um, as, as far as I know, most people are pretty flexible about uh, writers or whoever like setting up their own, you know, Patreon or whatever, you know, whatever it is. Um, there's some if you're like on staff somewhere, there's definitely some sort of exclusivity provision where it's like, okay, you can't write for IGN and Eurogamer at the same time right. or something like that. If you're on staff, if you're a freelancer, mm-hmm. you can do that. And so technically I've been a freelancer this whole time. Uh, so I, I could be doing, I could be writing for other outlets too. And I have in the past, it's just, I kind of, 
uh, wanted to focus solely on Forbes. So I kind of dropped all the other ones and have been just focused on that. And then YouTube became my like personal side project. So gotcha. Gotcha. I want to round back to video games in a moment, but I'd be remiss if I didn't point out that you're also an accomplished author of uh, sci-fi books as well. I mean, Amazon will will spit your name out for quite a few <laughs> books uh, there as well. Hero Killer, uh, The Sons of Sora, and qu- quite a few others that I'm, I mean, I'm rolling through and these are dope. These are dope. <laughs> there, Tell there's, me about there's five, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. I'm making sure I'm counting right because, you know, they have like yep. versions and editions. Um, <laughs> there's there's a German version. Yeah, it gets confusing. Yeah. Tell me a bit uh, <laughs> about kind of where that fit into your career journey uh, leading up to now. Yeah, that's been, uh, if I could just write books full time all the time, I might consider doing that, but I'll need really? them to sell some more copies. I just, I really love creative fiction. It's probably my, my biggest passion of anything. Um, but it is obviously hard to make your sole income, uh, writing unless you land some kind of massive deal, which, you know, maybe someday, but, um, so the, the first trilogy is the Earthborn trilogy. It's The Last Exodus, Exiled Earthborn, and The Sons of Sora. It is a it starts as a post-apocalyptic sci-fi story where the world has been destroyed by an alien invasion. And then a guy uh, finds a working alien ship. And the first book is mainly about him trying to get off the planet in it. And then it kind of expands from there. So I originally, this was you know years ago now, I discovered the idea of Amazon self-publishing. So I self-published the first two books in that series just to get them out there. And then I had some level of following back then where people were buying them and liking them. And then uh, a publisher contacted me through my writing and we talked about um, me writing a nonfiction video game book maybe. And I didn't really want to do that, but they did see I had this uh, these books already. And so I did a deal with them where they kind of republished the first two books and then released the third book in that series. Um, and so that, that got them into like, Barnes and Noble. And it was like, like an actual deal with a publisher. And it went like kind of the whole nine yards from there. And they, have, they had got audiobooks from that. Uh, and then I worked with that same publisher on Hero Killer and uh, did two of those books. And um, yeah, I'm working. <laughs> I have drafts of several other books that remain unfinished that I am trying to work on. But uh, I have kind of taken on a whole lot of uh, writing and video stuff these days. So it has slipped behind a bit. Uh, but it is it is something I'm very passionate about, and I would love to, in theory, do it full time, even if I don't know if that's possible. <laughs> My day job is a middle school teacher, and I do teach language arts, writing, reading, that kind of stuff. Uh, hmm. Any suggestions for young writers on that front? I mean, I would. They're just not start... going to hear this. I'm just curious. <laughs> no, I, I I mean I would start writing stories as early as you can, and don't worry about like. I mean, I guess if it's how young we're talking about here, but like, you know, I, I see a lot of people that have book ideas and they have like super long outlines and like, they go like really, really detailed of like, okay, here's the structure of this and this. And like, the key is to like, just start on chapter one and like the rest, like it is good to have a loose outline, I think, especially in fiction, but um, it kind of the first step is the hardest. And what, I think once you start writing, the rest will kind of start flowing. And I, I have known a lot of people that are, get kind of bogged down in the over planning of things. Like my outline documents are like three pages. Like they're, they're, they're pretty short and uh, changing as I go. But um, I think once you actually start writing the story and realizing that like, okay, I finished a chapter. That means I can finish two chapters. That means I can finish 10. Okay. I did a book. That means I can write two books. It's it, it kind of snowballs from there and gives you more confidence yourself in your own writing. Has your fiction writing informed any of your coverage for like science fiction games, Outriders, Destiny, Halo, that kind of stuff? Or uh, has it enhanced your skills as a journalistic writer? Um, that's a good question. Uh, yeah, maybe a little bit because, you know, you go through the editing process, um, but fiction writing is different, I'd say, than news writing. I mean, I would say it's the other way around. I would say my my video game stuff is influenced by writing because if you read my books, there are very video game-ish elements in there and Easter eggs I put in there. And, you know, like Hero Killer is, uh, it's like a gladiatorial story. And like, I, I drew a lot of references from a lot of my favorite fighting games for, for that and creating characters. And I kind of wanted to bring that kind of idea to life in a lot of ways. Um, and then like, you know, uh, the, the sci-fi Earthborn trilogy is like, there's influences from Mass Effect, from Destiny, from, you know, those are, in addition to, you know, uh, sci-fi movies and TV shows and books, I, I also am informed by video games uh, so that I think does make its way into my writing a good amount. Cool. Very cool. Very nice. Well, let's round back to those video games. Uh, plenty of people wrote in questions for you. 
this one comes from Sam Adams. He says, after 10 years, 10 plus years at Forbes, uh, what is a story that you've worked on that sticks out most when you're looking back? Sticks out most when I'm looking back. Um, I would say in like kind of recent years, the whole uh, kind of Me Too movement with um, a lot of content creators uh, and their their fans kind of coming out to uh, address the issues of all manner of things, sexual impropriety or harassment and all that kind of stuff. And that was a very, very serious uh, story to be working on. Um, and that required way, way more work than usual above and beyond, like working with my editors, like talking to all these people. Um, and I was, I was proud of how that story turned out. And um, it, you know, it was the first of kind of, you know, the New York times ended up doing a story on, on that uh, situation. So that was, um, something that kind of sticks into my mind is like one of the more like this isn't like, oh, your favorite Destiny Guns piece. It's like that was like a legit story where I, I really um, it was a lot more challenging. And I think uh, I, I hoped I was writing it, you know, for the right reasons and to shed light on that issue. That is a much heavier answer than I was expecting, but in <laughs> in a good way. Uh, I don't I mean, sure. that's the thing is like I don't write, you know, super intense, serious stories, you know, very often. Um, but that was something, um, that was, you know, kind of important to me. And sure. I mean, I was, I used to be on a podcast with, with like the, one of the guys who was drawn into all that. And that was like, and, you know, I disclosed that and had to talk to him about it. And it was, I mean, it was kind of a mess, but it was, I felt like I had a responsibility to use my platform to talk about that issue. Um, and it's, yeah, that, that really stuck with me. I mean, there's, there's more, Fun ones. If I if I want to do a fun one, I um, back when Sony was debuting uh, the PS4 versus the Xbox One, I think it was thirteen. Um, I wrote something about how Xbox was struggling with their messaging about like the always on stuff, the the disc sharing and things. And I wrote a big article about like this is all Sony has to do. And uh, then Sony did the big like the price drop thing, the like this is how we share games thing, and like they kind of owned xbox you know at e3 oh yeah um oh yeah it was embarrassing years later i found out that andrew house had read my article specifically and he, it had helped him craft kind of the narrative he wanted to shape for sony's show that year um which was cool. very cool to hear i i did not it, it took years and years later to to hear that but that so I, I didn't even know that piece was impactful until a long time later but that that's something I, that stuck with me that i thought was pretty cool yeah, that's very cool and in a very different way. And it's in many ways, uh, your platform and your voice might have accidentally influenced the way gaming was was consumed for that entire generation. You know, I mean, that really. I don't know if I go that far, but it, was... it might have had a factor. I don't think. I don't think you can discount yeah. that. I mean, their their marketing campaign for PlayStation Four. I mean, Xbox set them up for it, but goodness gracious, yeah. it was near perfect. Near perfect. That was uh, it. Was a good moment for them for sure. Sam also asked how you feel like the gaming industry has changed uh, since the time you've been covering it. And so that actually might be a great segue into the idea of like, what is different about these two, the two primary companies that we're, we're talking about, PlayStation and Xbox, uh, from when you started early on to where we are now, it seems like it's been cyclical, you know, and, and one, the, the palindrome back and forth. Yeah. Palindrome. Um, I mean, you know the constant has been... I mean, the, the strength of, of Sony is is very impressive. Uh, and I think, you know, really the only, you've seen a, dr a few dropped balls over the years. So like the Wii U was a big drop ball from Nintendo. The Xbox One was a pretty big drop ball from, from Xbox. But, um, you know, in the PS3, 360 generation, it was it was pretty even. Um, and then now I think it's, it's pretty even again, minus the supply shortages that are, you know, affecting everything. But um, it's, it's interesting that the dynamic has not, changed all that much and in all the time i've been covering this we have not seen that many meaningful new entries into the space like i have seen you know we see google try and fail now with with stadia and I mean, amazon has their own streaming service that no one ever talks about uh the only the only big addition I'd, I'd say over this past decade has definitely been the rise of mobile and um that is something that i think i personally have kind of a weakness in like i've covered certain huge mobile games like i did the whole pokemon go thing and things like that but um, mobile is a, a monster that is kind of dwarfing almost everything else in the industry at this point. And that was not really a factor, you know, in the same way a decade ago. So that mobile has probably been the single largest change uh, in, in gaming and not, not just in terms of like total size, but we have a whole generation of, of kids now that have grown up mainly with mobile games. And that 
that is going to inform the future in a, in a way I think that like tech, like motion controls and VR and, and stuff is not really going to do it at the same level. So I, I think that is probably one of the biggest stories of the past, you know, generation or not even generation, a couple generations. And uh, it's been a big change. Um, I, I mean, there's, there's a lot of changes, but that one stands out to me the most, I'd say. I would have to think, it's hard to it's hard to disagree with the idea of mobile and the way that it's being implemented, uh, and you have to think that XCloud and what Microsoft's trying to do as far as reaching more gamers with that respect is really, I think we're going to see a true litmus test when we look at how Halo Infinite launches and and what they're trying to do to get that to more screens with a, a free multiplayer component. Um, I'm curious, do you think of XCloud and cloud gaming as mobile? Do you think they'll merge at some point? Because I often think that ten years from now. It will just be called gaming. We won't delineate it's, between the it's two. It's certainly mobile adjacent given all the devices you can play stuff on. I think Microsoft is just in a very unique position with the cloud, whereas it has the ecosystem that none of these other companies have. So mm-hmm. Google and Amazon have the infrastructure to do what should be a very good mobile platform, but they do not have the catalog. Like they haven't converted enough third parties. They Google just stopped trying to make first party games, period. Amazon has made one pretty okay game in New World, I guess. But um, Xbox has this very wide web of an ecosystem and that they can put on the cloud, whereas like PlayStation is playing catch up. And if PlayStation does t- do a big cloud push past what they have now, they're going to have to rely on someone like Microsoft to get that done because they don't have their own infrastructure. Uh, Nintendo barely remembers the internet exists at any given time. So they are not really in this conversation. They're doing perfectly well doing their own thing, but they are not really, uh, you know, it might it might bite them eventually, but they're, you know, they're selling so many things right now. It doesn't even matter. So I wonder if we don't see Sony either get bought out by a bigger company like Apple, or we don't see a partnership where they take make use of Stadia style tech. Because I, I have to think that trying to set up their own infrastructure would be just monumentally expensive. Uh, they did respect. do some sort of deal with Microsoft, like literally a few mm-hmm. years ago about Remember cloud that. tech. I forget exactly what it was, but like they're, they're making moves in that direction. But they the problem is they are so far behind Microsoft. It's not just the tech, though. It's the model. They would have to get over the fact that they want to keep releasing $70 games at launch and not put stuff on, on you know, because it won't really matter if you're, you're not competing with the other attractive elements, like all the day one launches that Microsoft has. So you can have cloud gaming, I guess, but that's only kind of half the puzzle here. Right, right. There will be certainly that model has been something that I've seen Sony be flexible on in some cases, tra- transitioning from $70 titles to $20 titles to being on PlayStation Plus and think about Destruction All-Stars in this moment to, yep. you know, standing their ground and saying, no, Miles Morales, it's this. And Gran Turismo was the last one to span generations and, you know, putting their foot down on different uh, elements there and the models to me are the most fascinating thing to follow because i will play the games wherever they are personally and i would imagine most people in the you know podcast listening space will play the games wherever but the model i think is what's going to impact people that are not uh podcast listeners and are you know in that mobile space in the in the casual gaming space what have you yeah for sure Let's go to a different question. This one came from Kevin Ainsworth. He's asking you, uh, was there ever a story that you wanted to publish and then uh, elected not to for any number of reasons? Um, I've heard other journalists talk about this sometimes. Like sometimes just being in this business, like you hear things and it might be like a good story that would get clicks, but it's literally just like you are only doing it to be the one to reveal some sort of thing. So it, mm-hmm. the example I'm thinking of is like, I had heard that that Destiny was getting a freezing subclass, which they eventually called Stasis, like a very long time before it happened. And I was I was pretty confident about the accuracy of that. But I didn't publish it because I just didn't really see a reason to. It was just sort of like a leak for its own sake and like kind of a major component of that expansion. And there was, it wasn't like, there, there was no real good reason to publish it other than like, I knew this information and I was going to spoil some reveal for Bungie. Um, there are different levels of this. Like I put that in a more maybe serious category than like, okay, some Fortnite data miner got a look at the new Marvel skin two days early or something like that. Like it's, I don't think everything is in the same category in terms of, of leaks and stuff, but I do think it's a, a sliding scale. Um, like Destiny, for instance, also recently had a, a situation where some, some Bungie employees like, 
stole a bunch of information essentially and put it all online, like laying out uh, this whole season, the next expansion, all these details that were in this big leak document. And most of them have ended up coming true to a certain extent. Uh, and I, I avoided reading that, <laughs> uh, much less publishing it, even though technically that was news, but it was like literally stolen information and like it just felt really bad. So like technically that was like newsworthy, but it was it was like a leak of a scale that was clearly like the intent was to hurt the company like that. It was a disgruntled person who was trying to hurt the company. And I felt like I would be feeding into that by, you know, researching it, publishing it, things like that. So it, it's kind of a case by case thing. And like, obviously, I, I write many stories on, on various leaks and things, but there are certain times where it's just like, nope, that doesn't feel great. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, leaks seem to be the name of the game right now. I mean, most recently, uh, Jeff Grubb and Jazz Corden both, you know, announced, or not announced is not the right word, uh, shared information of leaks about two different projects coming to to Microsoft by way of, of Obsidian uh, and whatnot, Project Midnight from Compulsion Games, and then, you know, Obsidian's Pentiment, which seems to be similar to a Disco Elysium. Uh, this is big news, I think, for the Xbox community, given that Jez Gordon and Jeff Grubb both have fairly proven track records of releasing information uh, and it coming true. Is there, is there, as somebody who could release information at various points, do you ever find the weight of those leaks to be on that sliding scale, good or bad? Like the kinds you just mentioned? Um, sure. I don't know. It's, it's, it can be hard to kind of parse that out. And I'm not saying like those guys shouldn't have done that or, or whatever. Like, I think they're both great journalists. It's just, it's kind of like how you view these kind of things. And like, if it's like, okay, someone is making this title um, and there's not really much known about it. And like, they're not leaking a bunch of screenshots or video. Like, I, I think that sometimes in, in a lot of ways that you can have leaks, just get people excited for things. I think we've seen, like going back to the Fortnite community, the Fortnite community like could have spent a bunch of time hunting down leakers and stuff. Instead, they just used them uh, to build hype for whatever was coming next. And so mm-hmm. they just kind of view that as not that big of a deal. Uh, and it would, you know, just uh, increase interest in whatever was coming. Something like Destiny, if people are leaking story beats, that's like a category where it's like, okay, you're just spoiling things for people. Uh, so like mm-hmm. maybe like the existence of a title is, is somewhere in the middle uh, where maybe some people aren't happy about it. Maybe some people, you know, see the reaction They're you know, they're excited Obsidian's doing this game or whatever. So it is, it, it is very hard to figure out. And I'm, I'm sure everyone who comes across that kind of information has to deal with that. I, I definitely have fewer contacts and fewer sources than those guys, certainly. Uh, so they have probably have to make those decisions a lot more often. And they probably also know way more stuff than they ever share. So um, it's, yeah, it's, case by case basis, but it is, it can be tricky for sure. Oh man. Okay. So two questions popped in my mind there. Uh, the first one being at the beginning of your, of us talking, you're talking about your, your contract and what you did with Forbes, things like that. Um, is there ever pressure to get a story out there in order to increase traffic? And then would those leaks tie into that, of course. Uh, and then separately, I'd like to ask you about like cultivating sources and, and how you build that kind of trust in the community. So do you ever sure. feel a pressure to get a certain type of story out there in order to increase or engage with traffic? Um, I mean, you feel you feel a generalized pressure for traffic, but like I never have an editor being like, hey, like this thing just leaked and like you got to cover this for this. Like that is all left to my discretion at this point. Like I I make those calls myself. So mm-hmm. while I may personally feel like I have to cover X, Y, or Z thing, because I know it'll do a lot of traffic, it's ultimately my thing. I'm not going to, I can't speak for other sites. So it is certainly possible that situation has come up where an editor has asked someone to write a story they would rather not because they think it's going to get views. I'm sure, sure that has happened. But fortunately, that is not something I have to deal with. And really, the only traffic pressure there is, is just me kind of putting it on myself. Um, so, uh, so it was the second part of the question again. Well, you know, when you have people that are, are leaking information, sharing information or whatnot, uh, oftentimes they have to verify with sources. And then in order to do that, well, you have to build relationships with those sources, those companies. Um, if you're willing to share, like how, how does one go about doing that? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, without going into like specific companies or games or whatever, like you can get, there's, there's different kinds. So like I have 
you know, I have DMs with a bunch of respected or maybe maybe respect is the wrong word, but like uh, relevant uh, leakers and data miners and people like that. So like I know these people are like technically capable of like, OK, I found this file name in, you know, Halo Infinite or whatever. Like so I, I know that they're not just like making up that they found some sort of like data in, in a leak in that form. If you're talking about people within a company, that is a lot harder, obviously, uh, because they could get in like real trouble for sharing things. So, um, you know, you can you can build relationships with those people. And if they, you know, trust you with information that they specifically do not want you to share, which happens frequently, uh, or they're, you know, they're telling you things off the record, like the ethics of that is like, you're not going to just burn them and, and share it because that is like ethically bad. And it is also... Um, potentially damaging to them and like you know a lot of it like politics is like this too you know there's political sources that you know could be burned in different ways but um and then you kind of have to decide how you want to use that information so uh what's interesting is like the verge just published something where they weren't going to like start saying um sources close to apple or whatever because a lot of time that's like pr people telling the things behind the scenes but it's just kind of that company exerting control in a way um mm -hmm. we don't see that that much in the gaming industry but uh it sim you know similar situations can come up there so is that like controlled leaks is that what you mean yeah yeah and like i mean some especially in the tech industry like the broader tech industry they like they're allergic to leaks they hate like product leaks and things like that so it's even more intense there um but uh it, it again it depends on the severity so like sometimes so like when epic was um doing its, its things with leaks and like if they're leaking a skin or whatever, but then like someone leaked, I think the entire concept for a, a future season or something. I think they got sued. So like there are, are levels you can tread into where companies will, will draw a line, but um, actual employee sources like that is, is very hard. And this, that is a category that I have, I have, you know, I have some contacts within companies, but someone like Jason has, in, you know, an endless bounty of, of people he can talk to like that you know, sometimes a dozen plus in, in a specific company, which is how he's able to write those articles, but it's also reputational. So if people know he's known for creating those types of uh, expose stories. So if you're working at a company where like working conditions are bad and Jason Schreier comes knocking, you might want to talk to him because you trust him to get the story out and you trust him not to burn you as a source because he doesn't do that. Mm -hmm. So I guess I, I don't do as much of that kind of work. So like I haven't gone out of my way maybe to find as many people like that, but it is a very, in, in all of journalism, like that's a very hard, but important skill. If you are doing those kind of like deep, deep dive things, but that's, those aren't relationships you would really generally lean on for like, Oh, I'm just going to do this leak about this piece of content. Like it's, it's usually kind of for larger, larger scale things rather than just getting, you know, some, some small news story out because you got a, a tip from someone. Interesting. Very cool. Very interesting. Uh, I always find that stuff insightful, particularly as like, this seems to be the year of leaks, given that everyone's in work from home for so long and you're hearing so many different, you know, things from, from different communities. I mean, whether it's, it's destiny stuff, halo stuff, Avengers stuff. I mean, I'm seeing it cross my screen constantly at this point. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it, it happens with such regularity that I have to think that work from home played a factor in it as well, but that's very insightful. So I thank you. Uh, let's, let's dive into a few more questions here. We've got a lot, a lot of people very interested on this one. This one comes from, uh, Avengers content creator, High Ruler. He said, uh, after the recent dev stream talking about raid gear and gear changes, so he switched full into Avengers mode. Oh, okay. Uh, do you think that something like this is going to help Avengers long-term or, uh, do you think something else needs to be done to satisfy the hardcore player base in a looter experience? Um, I'm an avid player of Avengers myself for better or worse <laughs> glutton for punishment. Uh, so I'm curious, where are you, where are you looking at with the new Avengers content? I am, so I'm, I'm very excited for Spider-Man. I obviously think it still Sox City's PlayStation exclusive, but I don't think there was anything they could really do about that or he wouldn't exist right. at all. Uh, that's more of a Sony thing. Um, I am concerned about the raid, uh, not necessarily because I think having a raid is a bad idea or because it looks bad, but I don't know if Avengers is in a place to sustain something like that. Um, mm -hmm. First of all, like I have never really seen content in this game short of maybe the super adaptoid Omega threat that has required like actual teamwork between a team. And mm. the player base is pretty low at this point, like, you know, certainly much lower than it used to be. So I am wondering how it will be to find a, a coordinated group for that. 
um, and how how easily they'll be able to work together. Um, I did not have a great time trying to do that with random people for the uh, super adaptoid threat. So if a raid is even more hard and more complicated, that is concerning to me. Um, but then also on the technical end, uh, one one issue I kept running into with the Omega level threat is people leaving or people dropping, mm-hmm. and they still uh, do not have join a in uh, join in progress system, which is like that that like you can't just kill an entire raid run because one person drops out. And like I even read a quote from I, I don't know if it's Phil or whoever, but like it was like yeah, it's like if people drop, it might just be too hard to progress, like because we don't have join in progress yet. It's like well. That's not good. That's, right. that's not going to work. So with the amount of people I've seen drop either because they get frustrated for a, or an encounter and they just want to quit or because the game boots them, not having a way to, to either backfill with like a new person or to even have the same person join back if it was an accident, I'm, I'm concerned about how that would go. So like I can see getting, you know, two hours through a raid or however long that's going to be and then getting to the final boss and you wipe five times and someone leaves and then it's like, well, now there's literally no chance. And um, so that is the kind of stuff I'm worried about. Like, I'm sure the raid content will be interesting and good. And, you know, the, the gear changes and stuff are, are okay. It's just, I worry about the, the player health of the game leading into such high level content like a raid at this point. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, for this is kind of something you want in this genre, but I do wonder how it is going to work with the way. Avengers is set up currently and the population of the game. Very much agree. And, and High Ruler, there's a lot of things to take away on that. War for Wakanda brought in a lot of new people. The arrival to Game Pass helped a lot uh, as far as engaging people early on with that content, but giving them a reason to stick around is kind of the other aspect of that because they wanted to make a looter. Um, we know CD's team has been pretty heavily nerfed at, um, to an extent. And when they had the backlash between the XP boosters, and you know the nerfed xp versus paid consumables there it was interesting to watch them go quiet for so long and then as they turned around and and came out of that and addressed it took away the consumables suddenly developers were popping up on reddit suddenly developers were in discord and having conversations with people and it felt like a different take on it we know they're making bank on those the mcu skins there's a lot of good things happening right now but next to a lot of very strange things and so this we know they're contracted for another year at least that's what i've heard that they're good to go for another year to fulfill a contract the question will be if square gives cd the team size that they're requesting or if that's a cd team uh choice but they've got they've got heroes in in line they've got things going for it it's a matter of how they'll work out the technical side you know the xbox one and the ps4 really dampened what this game was but if you go play it now compared to where it launched it's come a huge amount of, of, of progress but the joining progress to me is the biggest damper because they seem to be getting gear in the right spot they seem to be really nailing what they're going to do for looter fans but how many people are playing avengers to be a looter i don't know i don't have that answer that is the angle that has worked the least well, I, I would say. Like that's why I get I get really excited about the addition of a new hero. Because that's gonna be that's something I know that they're always gonna kill. All of their heroes have been good. And I have I have fun, you know, leveling those and learning those kits. But if it's then it's like, okay, time to grind, you know, sixty gear score, like to get up to max. Like that is the part where I'm like, okay, this is not enjoyable to me. Um I I, I don't know what's gonna happen with kind of endgame gear or whether the process of like is it the it's only the raid that gives the new max and then you have to use that gear for infusion yeah, that's my understanding like that. and the olt they've shifted to where you can do it once per week per hero which is great that's great you know there's a yeah, lot of yeah positive stuff but yeah i think it's the olt and then the elite version of the old not olt i'm sorry the raid and then the elite version of that so that's that's a very small group of in-game players yeah i'm all, i'm always skeptical of of cap raises kind of for their own sake it's like I, I just, I don't know how I feel about that. I guess we'll see how it goes, but um, it's better than it's something like Borderlands where they keep doing that and it'll be like, surprise, all your gear is dead. Like you have to regrind literally everything you've ever gotten. Yeah. Uh, so that is a bad system of doing it in my estimation, but this looks to be, they're using, you know, Destiny style infusion to take gear up and that's that's at least a good middle ground, but only having one source of max items is, yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> we'll, we'll it's, it's, it's nerve-wracking to say the least i will also say ruler i like the idea of 
the hero events versus these mini campaigns because that's going to let them produce a bit faster. Spider-Man's a hero event, not a full campaign uh, of any kind. And then the War for Wakanda level expansions, if they can get another one of those out uh, by summer, that might be a good win. But hero events are, are great because to your point, Paul, they do heroes very well, but I need some villain sectors in that. CD, if you're listening, villain sectors, man. You got it. Yeah, that's good. I, I never even thought if Spider-Man's bringing a villain. I don't think he is. So mm-hmm. No, yeah. but like crossbones where's the villain sector the monica villain sector was perfect uh in so many ways to to bring a new experience we need more people to fight than you know, yep Taskmaster and such um yeah love love the avengers talk but uh i don't want to wax poetic on that one let's switch to halo paul a lot of people talking about halo right now asking questions it looks like the multiplayer uh might be launching on monday with every single leak in the world possible down to pringles at this pringles. point suggesting that multi by the time people are listening to this you could be playing halo infinite multiplayer for master chief's birthday uh and i was very skeptical on this one at first and then more and more as these little things started ticking up it feels like that multiplayer is going live uh i i did watch your video uh just prior to us to you and i talking and paul's got a video on his channel talking about this as well but paul what's your take on this is is halo infinite multiplayer going live uh on the 15th i have more or less convinced myself, yes. Um, so when this started kind of yesterday, I just saw a lot of stuff going off based around like one or two leaker tweets. And it was just like someone I have not heard of being like, yeah, this is happening. And then like PC Gamer would write an article about it or something. And I'm like, is that, is that it? And so like I kept but then you, you gotta know, look searching back around. But then, Travis but then all them. this stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So then, but then all this stuff started happening where people are data mining the date from the Microsoft store and Halo Waypoints and like, it's not two leakers. It's like eight leakers now. And uh, some stuff you could discount. Like I, people were pointing to this Google countdown, but I, I think that was tied to an algorithm thing from like 10 months ago. Microsoft store one can't explain that away. Can't explain Pringles. Can't don't know what Pringles is doing, but that's, that one happened so late. It was, uh, it wasn't even on, on my radar, but, uh, and then I have not, I straight up just asked the Xbox PR team. I'm like any comment, positive, negative, And like, I feel like this is something they would have shut down um, if it was not happening because no one wants mass, mass disappointment, you know, at the end mm-hmm. of the event on Monday. Uh, and if I were them, if I were their PR team, I would have said nothing to me also <laughs> as, as a like response. And like, I am act, I talk to these guys a lot, so they're not unresponsive. So um, there's just enough at this point where I think it's hard to overlook. Uh, the only, the downsides I see here are, subtracting a whole lot of players from Forza when that game is like rolling. Um, and that is kind of a bummer for that team because I, you'd be like, Oh, they're different genres. It's a, it's a racer, not a shooter, but like the most dedicated Xbox fans that have game pass are going to be playing both of those games. And you are obviously going to see a ton of people move over from Forza to Halo if it launches on Monday. Um, and then I'm sure EA is not super pleased with the, uh, this potentially dropping on top of battlefield launch week. So but Microsoft, you know, I, I bet if this is happening, that's something they planned for a long time. Battlefield was not supposed to be released this week anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know if they even expected Forza to be doing this ridiculously well. So there are probably more benefits to doing it than not just because of how excited is everyone going to be. So like just be right. able to instantly play Halo multiplayer three weeks early like that. You never see that happen. And that is kind of only possible because it's been ready for like probably a while. Like, you know, everyone played the mm-hmm. technical flights that could have launched tomorrow and everyone would have been happy. And right. So if they could do something like this for an anniversary event, it's a big surprise. Apex Legends style surprise launch like that would be pretty cool. So I don't know. I I've probably seen enough where I am certainly planning my day around that happening mm-hmm. on Monday. Uh, I know other people may not be able to do that or I'm not going to tell people to like take off work. Cause I'm not, you know, 10,000% convinced, but it does seem uh, likely I would say. And well, by the way, by the time you're listening to this, listeners, you are fairly confident. Well, uh, you already know. Okay. Most of you <laughs> yeah, will know. I, I but I will tell error, you. So, but I will tell you. From the past. <laughs> I'm very much thinking, I'm in agreement that it's going to launch because, because of all the things that are lining up for it as well. I'm not sure I buy into the idea that, you know, of the, the 7 million Forza players, that that player count's gonna, just going to massively drop away. That part, I'm a little bit gun shy on, on going forward with in my thoughts because Forza Horizon 
given, I think, the goodwill that Xbox has generated over the past year and a half or so, people are waking up to one of the few good franchises that Microsoft has able, been able to just spit out with regularity, and that is Forza Horizon. That extra year really seemed to, to come through in the polish um, for that one. I don't know that it really will impact it. I, I've seen the arguments. I hear your arguments, Paul. I just don't know that I can buy into that one at this point in time, but we'll find out, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, we'll, we'll find out. For sure. I mean, it, it may not. And that would be probably the best news. Like if Microsoft can have two ultra, ultra mega hits going at the same time, that would be something. Um, but I, I do think, you know, the increased Forza numbers are also because the game has been a lot more accessible and widely distributed than four. And I think mm-hmm. it has attracted a lot of new players that have not necessarily played Forza. Forza may not play racing games, period. Those are the kinds of people I could see, you know, all those extra people that Forza didn't have before that that got were gotten because of this launch. Those are the people I would say are probably going to carry over. How how many total people that is, I'm not sure, but that's why I think because of these are both day one launches, it won't require a purchase from anyone on either ends. Like that's why it's it's so easy to move between these two because it's not like okay, I, I need to spend seventy dollars on to play the Halo multiplayer. It's just like nope, it's here. Like you know, put, put Forza on quick resume and hop over. Like it's it, the point. ease of switching over, I think also plays into it for me personally. A very good point. You have to think also a lot of people are opening up those Halo controllers, Halo consoles. The idea you can jump into Halo there and then jump right in with Game Pass to the other one. You're, you make a very good point there. Uh, that's logical. This question comes from Court Lalonde, and I think it suits you very well, Paul, uh, <laughs> given your experience with Destiny and whatnot. Uh, a lot of Bungie talk of late for, for Microsoft as well. I think it's really nice to see that relationship kind of recultivated in many ways. Uh, Court wants to know, would it benefit Bungie and Microsoft to sign a partnership deal that Destiny and all future expansions are day and date into Game Pass, offering exclusive perks for Game Pass or Game Pass subscribers as another alternative? Uh, we know Destiny is very popular in multiple places, but they had a really good tie-in while they were with Activision and PlayStation. Uh, what do you think? Would it make sense for them to sign a, a strategic partnership with Game Pass uh, specifically? I think if it made like 100% success, they would have already done it for Witch Queen. So like to me, it kind of stands out that they didn't do it. So they did it for Beyond Light mm-hmm. and they're not doing it for Witch Queen. And that to me says that they viewed it as maybe not as good of a thing as it could have been. And they would mm-hmm. rather sell the expansion to uh, the Xbox players rather than put it on Game Pass. Um, for players, obviously, that would be great. I think they might increase their their player count that way. But clearly someone over there made the decision that they did not think that doing it again for Witch Queen after Beyond Light was necessarily the best idea. I don't know, like Beyond Light sales figures or, or whatever, or specific to Xbox, but I think if it was something they were really kind of chasing after it's not, it's not really Microsoft doesn't want it. It's Bungie may be like, all right, well, let's just see how this expansion does if we sell it instead of putting it in a Game Pass this time. So I'm not going to rule it out for the future. I think obviously Bungie and Microsoft have a very um, good relationship these days. Like Phil Spencer himself is a huge Destiny player. Uh, so I think there's plenty of, of potential for collaboration, but I, I'd i be a little surprised if they went to a system like everything is on, on Game Pass for it. Sure, sure. Uh, talk to me a little bit about Bungie, if you don't mind. I mean, Witch Queen, if my understanding is it's not included in the expansion pass, it's its own thing, season pass, I'm sorry. Uh, but <laughs> it's very complex for new players. There's a, a lot of red flags, and I'm going off of a lot of things I hear Travis say. But um, <laughs> yeah, Dude, he's, he's crazy. Um, I love him. I really do love his content. Uh, yeah, he's but great. yeah, talk to me about Bungie these days, because it seems like they're making strange choices uh from the outside looking in but like i don't know that from adam so you know what's up yeah um i I would say generally speaking this past year has been very positive for the destiny community um and they are the 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 seasonal content they put out especially in in the story department has been the best we've seen since activision had all of them you know with a bunch of support studios that were building these huge huge seasonal things uh but they really figured out storytelling um the problems we're running into now is things that got a little bit wonky with the delay of the Witch Queen. So it's supposed to come out this fall, but now it's in February. So this current season of the game is six months long, which is very long. It's, it's mm-hmm. double what it's supposed to be. So this has created a situation where they did a little like pack in the middle, this 30th anniversary pack, where that is um, 25 bucks by itself. And it, you get like a dungeon and the Gallarhorn rocket launchers back and, and some armor and stuff. Uh, and that is like pitched as a 
a way to celebrate Bungie. I'm doing air quotes. You can't see. But, mm -hmm. um, and then uh, if you roll that into the Witch Queen and the season pass for year four, it's a hundred bucks. So all in, it's like a hundred bucks for a year of Destiny content. Um, that sounds very expensive in an age when a lot of games are 60, 70 bucks. But given how many hours a lot of dedicated people put into Destiny, it's kind of par for the course. Um, I do certainly agree that Destiny is a very tough game for new players to get into right now. I have always been not a huge fan of the decision they made to strip out essentially the first two years of the game. So the, the base campaign is no longer in it. The first two years of seasonal content and DLCs are gone. So coming in as a new player, it, it's very strange because they brought some things back from Destiny 1 <laughs> that are not necessarily like story relevant. They just kind of exist. And you are dropping into the middle of the Destiny uh, 2 storyline with, with one of the expansions, uh, losing everything that came behind it. I understand all the reasons they've done this from a technical perspective because they had to redo their engine and scrub all this stuff out and, and a lot of things. But from a new player perspective, it is very hard to, to even, like, even doing this for a living, I don't even know where to tell people to start when they say, like, should I play Destiny? I'm like, I am very much having fun with Destiny. I do not know how to tell you how to get to where I am at because of how kind of mangled the, the onboarding process has gotten over time. Meanwhile, with Avengers, it's a great place to start. Play the campaigns and then there's nothing to do. So <laughs> almost the opposite. Yes. So that, that is the thing. Like, I always recommend people buy Avengers. People are like, should I get Avengers on sale? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I'm like, you will get 20 bucks worth of enjoyment out of Avengers for sure with all the content mm -hmm. they have. So that's one where it's like the opposite where I'm like, no, I don't think you're going to be playing this for 400 hours. But like, yeah, I would recommend it offhand for, you know, whatever the sale price is or on Game Pass or, or whatever. So, yeah, I've even debated double dipping just to play the Spider-Man stuff and play it on PlayStation and then put it down just because. But like, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> uh, one final question. This one comes from Lord Cognito. Oh, he... my buddy. <laughs> His first question, he wants to know your thoughts on Xbox software offerings this year. Uh, and then the second question, uh, how does Lord Paul Tassie handle being sidekick second fiddle to the true star of his YouTube channel, Evie? Evie. Yeah, this isn't video, but she has been wandering around in the back. Um, I think, I don't know if I would be as invested in YouTube without Evie. Because <laughs> like, she's, she's this little boat. Like my, my videos are very very plain it's just me talking to the camera most of the time with like some images coming up from time to time or gameplay footage but mm -hmm. people tune in to see evie roaming around or rolling around on the ground or playing with toys so i think she has very much helped me uh, in there and also she's just she's she hangs out all day in here in my office and is a good work buddy uh in terms of his first question uh, xbox software offerings um this is certainly the best stretch i think we've seen in many many years um just between, I mean, Forza Horizon 5 is obviously a clear game of the year contender. It is beloved and it's a massive hit. Mm -hmm. uh, Halo Infinite, we don't have not seen the final product yet. And yet uh, this year, you know, all the technical flights have been raved about. Mm -hmm. The campaign footage we have seen has looked very good and cleaned up from before. Um, or some, I think IGN did a preview already and said it was very good. Uh, so it's, it seems like Halo Infinite is going to be a huge success as well. And, it, and one of the better entries in the franchise so it is hard to have a, a month with titles that good. Like I can't, I don't even remember Sony having a, a period of time like this in at least not in a very long time where they release, you know, two monster games like that uh, kind of back to back. So this, I, I, don't, I, I don't know what will happen next year, like Starfield and all that, but yeah. um, it's, this is certainly a great first step in kind of this new Xbox era of uh, being like, no, we have really awesome first party games too. Um, Again, these are classic franchises that have established fan bases and we have to figure out what's going on with Fable and, and Avowed and all these other kind of experiments. But um, this is a very strong place to start. But obviously it took an entire year to get here and they kind of did not have anything, uh, you know, last year when they launched. So um, yeah. that was problematic then, but that has led to this year being huge. You know, I think back, uh, Paul, I was asked the other day about like what letter grade I'd give the year one of series sx and, and whatnot and um i came down on the score of a b because the hardware is great the os has gotten only better x cloud is performing game pass is delivering um and i couldn't go any higher than that because of that first party offering but as i look back uh, 
Forza Horizon and Halo Infinite are, are the two kind of biggest ones, but you had Gears Tactics, High Busters, you had the Pirates Life and Sea of Thieves drop, Flight Simulator hit uh, PC and consoles, Psychonauts 2 came in with Xbox Game Studio, State of Decay 2 got its uh, another big update there, and then Grounded somehow is performing just incredibly well, Age of Empires 4 just <laughs> launched. There's some really cool things that may not be those pillar, like full pillar tentpole games, um, but a lot of genuine goodwill for the communities there that are smaller communities i would argue but are st- they're still delivering meanwhile master chief collection plugging away see if these bank putting those bank numbers up i feel like it's a nice good time at least as an xbox content creator who plays on everything i mean ps5 is in the background there too it's <laughs> you know it's it's nice to have good things to say about microsoft after year one of series s and x yeah i i certainly agree with that and i again like i have gotten quote in trouble for being like I prefer playing you. games on my Series X to my PS5 because I, I like a lot of the functionality uh, they have built into it, and I think Sony didn't make enough changes. Um, yeah, I, I think you're right on, on the software side, and there probably are a lot of smaller games that I, I've overlooked because I haven't had time to play them. But certainly, I mean, this is the best you know we era of Xbox we have seen probably since 360. I, I don't think we yeah. ever were in a period like this with uh, Xbox One. So. That is promising, and I think um, they are going to have a very strong generation overall, for sure. If I held you to a letter grade, what do you think you'd throw towards it? Um, it's so it's so interesting because like if it's so, if it's a hardware, I'd say like a solid A A minus. Mm-hmm. Um, software would be maybe like a C plus B minus. So I, I mm-hmm. could see D B plus. I, it, mm-hmm. I I think the Series X did surpass a lot of expectations I had, and I I have come away with very very positive feelings about it uh, in a way that after the Xbox one, I was, I just wasn't expecting. So um, I, I do, I, I well, if, it depends if we're counting Forza and Halo as, as this first year, but it might technically be after. I would say year um, two. I'd say that's year two. If that's year two, then year. yeah, that, that's a strong, that's a strong A to start year two, but we'll, we'll see. <laughs> cool deal. Cool yeah. deal. Well, Paul, I've taken over an hour of your time, but I really enjoyed the conversation here. Uh, I, I think it's, very obvious people can find you at Forbes, but please point them towards your personal channel, your Twitter handle, uh, and let people know where to find more of your content. And then feel free to plug anything you got coming. Sure. Um, I am just at Paul Tassi on Twitter. I post a lot of memes and they are mostly Destiny related. So apologies in advance. Uh, I'm just Paul Tassi on YouTube. I don't think I have a custom YouTube URL set up yet, but you'll find me there. Uh, and then uh, my, my books, if you want to read those, are on Amazon and a bunch of other places like audible and, and things like that uh, and that should come up if you google me too uh, or there's uh, links in my twitter profile so well thank you for joining me man yeah thanks for having me it was a great time